Hello and welcome to a new episode of Too Much Time on Our Hands, a theatrical cut. I'm Sonia and sat next to me this evening, rather than opposite, with his face still for radio, is Terry. Hi, Sonia. profile for radio this evening. Uh, Terry and I have had to abandon the conservatory because the rain's too loud. Um, So we're in the lounge um, on the sofa instead. Um, We are going to be talking about space films tonight. We've done this a little bit the wrong way around, I feel, because we put it to the viewers, listeners, listeners, and we decided to cover the Joker first and then add Astra afterwards, didn't we? Yeah. And really, we should have done it the other way around, because let's be honest, (laughs) add Astra who? (laughs) Um, I mean, is anyone still going to see it? Is it even still on? It is still on, yes. Okay. Um, We've both seen it now. Yeah. I think I talked about it last time. You talked more about the experience, I think, rather than the film. There were, there were lots of children in front of us. Um, Ad Astra, of course, is the new film with Brad Pitt out that's not the Quentin Tarantino film. Did you like it? I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I really, really liked it. I didn't have a group of school children in the cinema with me, which I think helped. Also, I ended up seeing it in IMAX because that's the time that suited me and Steve when we went to see it. But no, I thought it was really, really good. <clears throat> I really liked how it was just a very slow-burning the one bits, I mean, not getting spoilers, there were two bits I didn't really like, and that's where they seemed to just throw action at it, which didn't match the rest of the film at all, because the whole thing was just this slow father-son sort of storyline. But no, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I There was a bit quite near the start where they're falling. Mm. Um, did it give you the shit? Yeah, it really did. Um, I'm not scared of heights unless you're as high as space and you're falling to earth then I'm a little bit scared. Yeah, space is quite high. Uh, and I didn't like that. Uh, so, cool. Um, I think it's a good film to see at the cinema. Oh, definitely a cinema. Visually. IMAX as well was worth the worth the extra couple of pounds. Well, if you say so. Um, okay, good. So, by Watch Bin, based on space films, and it's human missions to space, isn't it? We, yeah, we're not doing... Human to space, no aliens. No aliens, no... Um, things along the line of Guardians of the Galaxy or Star Wars. Well, they've all got aliens in them, so you wouldn't. Be no, but I mean, like, pretend, yeah. make believe. No well, make believe space films. I, what you mean? They had, all had to be true stories because I'm in a no. bit of shit now. <laughs> you know, like human missions to space. Real humans, yeah, in space. real humans, as opposed to the pretend ones <laughs> that've got blue skin. Off you go then, Terry. Terry's going first with his um, buy selection. All right, just let me get my notes up. So this has been a very tough topic for me. Uh, f- there was a couple that popped into my head immediately, and then once I sort of gathered all of my space films, I immediately knew I was in trouble. Yeah, because there were a couple of films that you bagged straight away, weren't there? Yeah, and one of them, and one of them hasn't made the list. I knew that would happen. Um, you greedy bastard. <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't have had it anyway. Uh, so it was a toss-up for two with this one. Um, and I went with Gravity in the end as my buy. Uh, it was in a very close call with Interstellar. But I decided to go for Gravity over Interstellar because Gravity is almost entirely set in space, whereas Interstellar has bits on Earth, bits on other planets, whereas this is pretty much entirely set in space. So fully meets the brief, which one of mine later on might not quite do that. Um so, 
<clears throat> if you've been, as Sonny likes to say, living in a cave since the year 2013 when Gravity first came out, Gravity was a mind-blowing film that came out, which is set entirely in space. It only contains George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. They're the only people you see. Ed Harris is also a voice in the background. Um, and it is... Sandra Bullock is a doctor who's designed something to go on the Hubble telescope. The film opens with her attaching it to the Hubble telescope and George Clooney's just sort of flying around testing out some new jetpack type thing. They get a message from Houston just to say, oh, just be careful. We've heard that a satellite's just... The Russians have just tried to destroy one of their own satellites, so just be careful. There might be a bit of debris. And this causes a chain reaction, which I forget the name of, but it's based on something that they think would actually happen if this was to happen, where basically the shrapnel would just start to orbit the Earth, gaining speed and possibly get to about 17,000 miles an hour. And essentially this debris tears through the ship that Sandra Bullock and George Clooney are on, shreds it to pieces, and it doesn't really get much better from there on. So it's an incredibly... At the same time, agoraphobic film and claustrophobic film because it's set, obviously, in the wide expanse of space. There's one bit in particular where Sandra Bullock's character is just spinning off into space. And at that point, you're feeling really agoraphobic because it's like she's just in the mass of nothingness with nothing around her. And a little bit sick. And a little bit sick, yeah. You do get a lot of first person in that where you are just spinning and spinning and spinning and she's trying to right herself and stop herself spinning the only frame of reference you've really got is the earth itself so you've just got this big ball spinning round and round with you um and then there's lots of bits further on where she's like moving around in spaceships and obviously that's very claustrophobic i think to be very contradictory to the expansive space but it's just say it's six years old when it came out it was hailed as like this marvel of a film because the film was filmed entirely in green screen Sandra Bullock at no point wears a spacesuit during the filming of it it's all entirely CGI the visors on the helmet are completely CGI and the thing that struck me most watching it because I hadn't watched it for a while it still looks absolutely banging it doesn't sometimes you watch a film that's based entirely on special effects and after a few years where the special effects have moved on it doesn't look as good it doesn't look as crisp it doesn't look as neat but this still looks like it is actually set in space. It's actually all happening. There's no bits where you sort of go, oh, that looks a bit whiffy. The only thing that's a bit whiffy is the fact they've given Sandra Bullock a short haircut. I'm guessing just they didn't have to worry about making her hair move all the time. But just absolutely phenomenal. All the just sort of little bits and pieces. I saw this at the cinema in 3D as well, way back when. And it's one of the few films that I think 3D actually sort of did something for. Um, so at the time it was very popular it won seven Oscars out of its ten nominations mainly for the sort of technical categories so film editing, music the music in this film is absolutely phenomenal sound editing, sound mixing, visual effects directing for Alfonso Cuaron so he spent years developing this film it was a sort of James Cameron-esque thing where he had the idea and he had to wait for the technology to catch up for him to be able to make it um, and it's absolutely phenomenal and then Emmanuel Lubitsky won for cinematography and this was the first of his three in a row wins for cinematography he did this then Birdman then The Revenant so <clears throat> high pedigree from everyone involved but yeah I mean there's I don't want to get too much into the spoilers of it all and like really what happens but it is just if you want to see a survival like a human survival story set in space then you will not find a better film than gravity absolutely just say six years on it is still fantastic that is one of the ones you bagged. 
Um, Terry, I forgot to ask you, do you, do you have any space facts? Only one. It's quite big. Thank you for that. And it's a vacuum, sorry. There's an additional fact oh. for you. I, I actually didn't know the second one. Um, so, I also buy? found this um, very tough, but for a completely <laughs> different reason for Terry, I have a confession to make. Um, this has been my least favourite topic we've ever done. And, um, and when I say that... Um, I enjoy every topic we do. This is the only topic we've ever done that I actually haven't enjoyed. It's become very apparent over the last couple of weeks that I have very little love for films in space, unless they're of the Star Wars slash Guardians slash Alien um, ilk. Um, But with regards to human missions into space, it's not something I gravitate towards. Um, Clever. Yeah. I, I... it just doesn't do it for me. Um, anyway, um, so my buy watch being in a way was quite easy because I had very little You've desire. Only watched three space films. I haven't. I've barely watched two, um, <laughs> and we'll get on to that as we cover the subjects. Um, I I I just didn't have a burning to desire to go out and maybe watch films that I hadn't watched before or even re-watch some. I've seen Gravity. I enjoyed it as a cinema experience. I've seen Interstellar. I enjoyed it as a cinema experience. But I had no real desire to watch them again. I didn't like not rate them as great films, but just didn't want to watch them again. Anyway, Jack, my buy is a film that I owned, so I had bought it previously and wanted it as part of my collection. And when I think about director, writer... That's probably why it's part of my collection because my buy is Sunshine. Mm. Nice and easy, um, nice and easy choice for me anyway, because um, it's directed by Danny Boyle, who's the director of one of my favourite films of all time, Train Spotting. Um, and obviously, he's done Train Spotting 2, he's done The Beach, which I love, um, Slumdog's Millionaire, um, amongst lots of others. But it's written by Alex Garland as well, who, of course, also wrote the Beach novel. And he wrote the Dread screenplay, which I didn't know. And we all know how much I love Dread. So, he wrote Sunshine, Danny Boyle directed it. So those two together kind of assuring that I was going to like this film. Um, and Sunshine is about a mission, uh, a team that are sent to... The film, is star, uh, the film is set in 2057. Yeah. And a crew are sent to... Um, kickstart our dying sun um essentially they're gonna set a bomb off on it now a mission has been sent in the year 2050 but that failed so this is the second mission that we're following um now danny boyle has said that uh two of the influences for this film are 2001 a space odyssey and the original, any film set in space the is... original solaris film which um came out in 1972 um it's got a really good cast. It stars, amongst other people, uh, Killian Murphy, Rose Byrne is in it. it. You know, and she quite often, I think, in recent years has played more comedy roles. Uh, Chris Evans is in it. Um, not the ginger one, the Captain, Captain America. America one. Michelle Yeoh. Mark Strong is in it. Um, 
It's got like a deliberate like international cast, isn't it? Yeah. It's meant to be like a worldwide effort to yeah. kickstart the song. So it's absolutely meant to be like an international crew. So he, he's got an international cast. Rather than getting people to do terrible accents, um, he just went for an international cast as well, which is brilliant. Um, <clears throat> whilst they, whilst these, this team go off to complete their mission, they hear a distress call from Icarus, uh, the, the first mission that went there, Icarus 2. Um, and they decide to make a slight detour to meet the distress call. The idea being is we're going to set a bomb off on the sun, but if we can get their bomb and set two bombs off on the sun, two bombs is better than one. That old adage. Yeah, that old story. Um, and things start to go wrong from there. Um, it's It's filmed really... It's just got a certain look to it. It's got... There's lots of shots of the sun. And at the time, I think it was like the largest CGI shot ever because the sun's all CGI. Um, Because I don't think you can stare directly into it long enough to film it. Um, And the the scenes where they're looking, because they have like a viewing gallery and they go and look at the sun. There's just a certain like feel. And it it almost feels hot as you're watching it. They're just the way they've created the look it looks hot, do you know what I mean? Um, and the spacesuits, I really, really love. The spacesuits are gold. One of my favourite bits of trivia, not one of my favourite, my favourite bits of trivia is that they took inspiration from Kenny from South Park for the space of the shape, uh, the, the shape of the spacesuit. So, you know, like the helmet shape <coughs> is the same shape as his hood. Right, okay. Can you picture it? I can picture Kenny. I can't picture the spacesuit. Well, imagine Kenny in gold, and you've got it. Um, I I really love the cast. I really like the the story. I like the tensions. There's a bit of a god story going on in the background mm. as well, because Alex Garland wrote it with a little nod towards atheism, I believe. Um, and actually, when Killian Murphy during the filming of this changed his beliefs from agnostic to atheist which I thought was quite interesting so obviously something Alex Garland had written or said wrong true with him Mm. um I think that Danny Boyle interpreted it a different way and he didn't read the story that way but it's obviously portrayed in the way that Alex Garland wrote it because one of the cast members Mm. took took that away with him um but I a couple of films that I watched, I did watch, I think I watched one extra film about space, but the God thing came up a couple of times, which I thought was quite yeah. interesting. Gravity has a bit of a, or people chose to read into that, because <clears throat> there's a bit where George Clooney's character pops back up when you wouldn't expect him to, and people were saying that that was God appearing to her mm. in the, a form that she would be able to like look at. I think if, if I was to see God, it might look like George Clooney. Maybe. I don't know, Brad Pitt. Um, who knows? Maybe Sandra Bullock. I, I'd take Sandra over George. Oh, I bet you would. Um, so that that's my buy. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because I had actually bought it at some point, and it, it is part of my collection. So my recommendation, as someone who doesn't really enjoy space films, it's a space film that I enjoyed. And strangely, I don't really like Sunshine. Oh, do you know what a few people have said to me... Um, that don't really like sunshine. You're not the first one because we haven't talked about our choices, have no. we? Um, I've had a conversation with someone else. I'm sorry, I don't remember who. Um, 
God, I hope it wasn't Chris. Um, <laughs> and they they also said they didn't like sunshine. I liked it up to a point, and then it sort of changes tack as to what's happening, and I didn't mm. like that change. No spoilers. Yeah, it's a bit of a Danny Boyle trope, that. But well, I'm a fan, so <laughs> go Danny. It's, it's not a bad film, but yeah, there's I just wasn't <laughs> wasn't overly keen. Okay, on to watch. So hot. <laughs> You don't have to strip down anymore, are I you? I hope not. That's not going to be pleasant for either one of us. <laughs> or Dan, or the, probably. Dan or... will probably hear me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Dan. Uh, so, my watch... Uh, so, this is technically set in space. It's set on the moon. It's the film Moon. See, I haven't seen that. You haven't seen I Moon. I know, I know. that If I was going to like make an effort to watch a film... I genuinely can't believe... It. I know, because Rockwell as it's well. It's Sam Rockwell. I know. and Matt it, Berry's in it as well it in was, a little bit. Is he God? No. Um, now, if, honestly, <laughs> seriously though, if anyone was going to play God... Casting, yeah, yeah, that was perfect casting. If I was going to make an effort to like go out and find a film to watch... Because I looked it up to see if it was on Netflix or Amazon... It's not. Um, but I couldn't find a copy of Moon in a Chazza. Well, I can lend it to you if you want. I, I own it. Oh, okay. Um, but the topic's over now. It's, yeah, but it's I'm a... not watching any more space films ever. <laughs> I'm now recommending that you should watch it. Okay. Oh, yeah, this is Watch. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, Moon, from the year 2009, directed by Duncan Jones, the son of David Bowie. Um, I didn't know that. Did you not? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> you learned so many things when Moon. I speak. Moon is like... <laughs> this is the revelation, isn't it? Uh, so it's his feature film d- debut for uh, Duncan Jones. Uh, he wrote it himself. So essentially this is set in... I don't think we're given a date. It's just the future uh, where Earth has become so dependent on energy. Fossil fuels can't meet it. Obviously, we don't want to be using fossil fuels. And we basically find out that the m- the moon's surface or the moon's core can be turned into helium-3, which is super powerful, so not a lot of it goes a long way for energy. So we've essentially now taken over the moon and we're harvesting the moon and sending it back. Sam Rockwell's character is... I think he plays Sam. I can't remember. I've forgotten his name. Um, But he's essentially the lone man on the moon, just making sure that the harvesters are working fine. He's on a three-year mission. At the end of the three years, he's going to come back, obviously be rich. Uh, he gets like his messages from his wife and his daughter, and he's just going about his life on this station, as he will. And then one of the harvesters breaks down, so he goes out to look at it, ends up crashing into the harvester, and then wakes up in the medical deck. Um, a one thing to say that's a slight thing now in the time: Kevin Spacey's the voice of the computer. Obviously, it's not really see. Although technically, nothing's been proven. He hasn't been charged with anything, but there's no smoke without fire. Sorry, Kevin. Um, so he is the voice of Gertie, the computer, which has very much got a howl from Gertie? 2000. Yeah, it's very much got a howl from 2001 vibe to him. Um, so yeah, so Sam wakes up in the medical bay, like, or what's going on? Gertie's like, oh, you've been out for a few days. Don't worry, everything's fine. Uh, he wakes up, he starts pottering around, and he wants to go outside to find out what's going on with the harvester and... Basically, the people back on Earth are like, no, don't worry, it's too dangerous. You just sit tight, we're going to send up a mission, they're going to sort out the harvester. You just sit tight and crack on, don't worry about it. He obviously just wants to go out because now he's a bit suspicious of why he's not allowed to go out. 
Gertie won't let him go out. He basically fakes an issue with the space station so that he can sneak out. He sneaks out, he drives over to the Harvester and sees a vehicle crashed into it with a body in it. He gets the body out, takes it back, and when he takes off the spacesuit, it's Sam Rockwell. And essentially what we find yeah. out... Essentially what we find out is... Or the thing is, are they clones? Or are, are you they spoiling this for me? This happens about half an hour in. Okay. So it's a minor spoiler, but it's not like this is the last five minutes of the film. And then the rest of the film is the two Sam Rockwells. So you've got multiple Sam Rockwells in this film as an extra bonus. um, Deciding like, what am I? Who am I? And it's a sort of existential thing of... And then it's like, what do the two of them do now? Because essentially what was meant to happen is as one dies, the next one is like brought to life he does his three-year mission he's off another one comes up so essentially rather than having to keep training people to work on the moon and pay a lot of people to work on the moon they've just got this clone that they're running through so i say it's very sort of the big questions of like what makes a human because they're all implanted with the memories of this wife and child and it's like are they even real does this person exist um so it's very well done say gertie the computer is a really integral character within it. It's literally Sam Rockwell, Gertie, and then a couple of like phone calls, one of which involves Matt Berry, who's one of the chiefs down on Earth. But it's just so well done. It's so low-key, because it's just... I mean, quite a lot of it is just Sam Rockwell talking to Sam Rockwell, which, as a fan of Sam Rockwell, I'm I'm very much down for that. Um, so, yeah, it's only 93 minutes long as well. Ooh. So you can, you can burn through it, but it is... It's one of those, most of the films that I've watched for this, as I pulled out the pile, they were all films that I knew I liked. Obviously, I owned them all. And every one that I watched, I was like, oh, that's so much better than I remember. That's so much better. And this, I remembered it being very, very good, but it is it is a phenomenal film. It, To be honest, it could have easily been my buy as well. I would recommend buying this film. Um, but it made it into my watch because it's just not quite as good as Gravity. But yeah, if you like, say, <clears throat> Space... You don't really see anyone in space, but obviously the moon is in space, and I think we would define that as space. But yeah, it's all of like the effects were model work as well, because Duncan Jones has like a background in like model work and commercials. So all of like the big harvesters and all of the vehicles running around, they're just like little models driving around, sort of red like dwarfy. Red dwarf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very very red dwarfy. Um, so yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. Moon by Duncan Jones is my watch. Good. I can't believe you haven't seen it. I know. I annoy myself sometimes. Yeah, outrageous. Um, so I picked Sunshine as my buy. And as I said, um, Danny Boyle cited um, 2001 A Space Odyssey as one of the um, influences for it. My watch is the film 2001 A Space Odyssey from 1968. In no way connected to sun- the reason why I picked Sunshine... I just uh, read that bit of trivia today. Now, you might think why she picked that as a watch rather than a buy, but I'll get to that. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey is probably one of, you know, it's a hugely well-known film, isn't it? It's a seminal piece. Say Anyone who's made a film about space will cite 2001. Most big filmmakers like Nolan and stuff like that will cite 2001 as something that made them want to make films. Mm. It's a film I love. I took it out of the equation because it just would have easily been my buy. Um, now, we went to see this a couple of years ago at Prince Charles. Uh, we watched it on 70 mil. mil. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Now, 
when um, when I went to see it with Terry, Terry wanted to go and see it, and I was I felt like it was one of those films I had to see. When it finished, I didn't really know what I'd seen, and I I still don't really know. Um, I mean, I've I, I I don't know. If if you ask me what two thousand one a space odyssey is about, I've I've written in my notebook here evolution question mark. Um, <laughs> As I think that's what it's about. Um, Certainly a theme. So, essentially, um, what happens, and the reason it's included in this space um, episode, um, there's these monoliths, which you, you see a monolith, you see some apes discovering a monolith, and then fast forward to the future, and there's another monolith, and they kind of connect um, the past and the present um, but most of the action of the film takes part on a ship, and I think the star of the show is the computer Hal. Yeah, Hal, it's um, Hal. You know, very striking. You know, it, you've got a voice and a red light on the screen. Very um, parodied, parodied as well, Hal. And but it's it's very um, <clears throat> it's very striking. The the film. I mean, we, we were treated to, like I say, a 70 mil showing of it. It's like a visual and I think specifically in like an audio feast. Oh, the, the um, music. The sound and, and everything about it is kind of... It just, it just takes you somewhere else and you're kind of like watching it and you're like, I can appreciate that I'm watching a spectacular here. At the end of it, I still didn't know quite what I'd seen as in story-wise, I can't give you a coherent storyline, but I knew I'd watched something special. Yeah, I'm not that much of a fucking pleb. I'm pretty high <laughs> up there on the pleb scale, but I'm, you know, certainly not going to dismiss 2001 because I didn't get it. Some films I dismiss because I don't get them because they're too fucking clever for their own good. But 2001 was one of those films you really wanted to see it, and so we went along and I, I trusted your judgment and off I went and you were like, we've got to see it at 70 mil. And you were 100% right. Um, a few little things that I read about it um, when doing the research for this, which I found really um, amazing considering how the film looks, is that most of it was filmed in Boreham Wood yeah. and Scotland. Scotland's lovely. Boreham Wood, not so much. So the idea that it was filmed in Boreham Wood, which is just down the road from here, um, it's pretty mind-blowing. And initially, it didn't take a lot of money. No. Opening weekend, just over $200,000. Um, bearing in mind it came out in 1968, it went on to take $68 million, which in those days was a lot of money. I mean, yeah. in these days, it's a lot of money, but I'm sure if it came out now, by today's standards, it would take a lot more money. Oh, it would be billions now. Yeah. I think, easy. Um, now, the reason it's my watch and not my buy is I'm... I'm going to go out there and actually not recommend anyone actually buys this film. I think if anyone buys it to watch at home, it's an absolute waste of time. It needs to be seen on a big screen. You need to see it in 70mm. And if you're watching it any other way than on a cinema screen, it is a waste of time. So I'm going to say, do not buy this film. Instead, buy a ticket to go and see this film. That's why it's a watch and I not I think it's up to the Prince Charles again soon in yeah. 35 or 70 mil. So go and, yeah, whether it's, you know, even if it's 35 mil or not 70 mil, go and see it. Don't buy it on Blu-ray or 4K. I don't care how good it how good it looks. It won't look as good on your telly. It won't be that experience that we had at the cinema. 
No, that's the best way I've seen it. I have watched it at home, obviously. I've seen it at home first. you very much got to completely make sure you black out your room and like turn the TV right up. But, I think yeah. I said to you at the time when we went to see it at the cinema, if I had bought this or if you'd lent it to me and given it to me to watch, I would have turned it off in like in less than half an hour because I would have been like, what's this? I'm not watching this. It's nonsense. You know, at the start with the apes yeah. and that. But watching it on the big screen, it's just so much more impressive. Mm. And it's the sound. It was yeah, the, the sound, sound that is... did it for me at the cinema. Um, it's hard to describe, but I recommend if you have a love for cinema, go watch 2001 on the big screen. There okay. That's my watch. No, so I can't agree more with that. I really, 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 really love that film. Me and Dan actually went to a Kubrick exhibition and there was lots of stuff on 2001. When did you go to that? When we went to see the John Wick double bill. Oh, because I wanted to go to that, but it's run out, it's finished now, isn't it? Yeah, literally, because we were going to see John Wick, we were just like, what else is in London? Oh, there's a Kubrick exhibit on. Really, really good. Yeah. Lots of stuff on 2001 and lots of the actual models and stuff like that. Yeah, we were going to see that, but just run out of time. Yeah, no, that was really good. Uh, <clears throat> so now we move on to the pièce de résistance of our of our here. So we go on to bin. So say so I had a really hard time with this topic. I love. A, I knew I liked space films. I didn't realize how much I love space films. I really did think for a short while I wasn't going to have a bin and I was going to have to have two watches or something. But then luckily for me, the pile of shit that is the Titan came along. Oh, I don't think I've seen uh, this. So this is an. I don't know if it's a Netflix original, but it's on Netflix. Mm. Um, this is the one where I'm pushing the boundaries of a space film. So, in the description, it talks about space travel and etc. Mm. When you get into watching the actual film, there isn't that much space travel in it. The film is essentially about a near future again where the planet's dying, we need to work out. And this one crazy scientist played by Tom Wilkinson, who is... Fuck knows what he is doing in this film, because he's obviously a very good actor... He's decided that our only hope is one of the moons of Saturn, which has a slightly hospitable <coughs> environment, but humans as we are would not be able to exist on that planet because we would just die because it's too cold, there's too much methane in the air. So his plan is to try and ev- push evolve the human race so that they are able to live on Titan, the moon. So he basically finds people that have shown extreme courage or extreme survival skills so people that have been like the only survivor of their squad unit and have dragged people out of a battle one of these people is sam worthington um i think i know this film so they're all taken they all sign waivers and essentially sign up to this mission where they're going to be tested prodded injected with things given supplements to see if they can make them evolve enough that we would be able to move to titan and survive on titan First of all, it's a pretty flawed plan because I don't know how the plan was meant to work, but it doesn't really come up. But the initial, my initial thought was, if you're going to make someone evolve so they can live on Titan because it's too cold, there's too, there's not enough oxygen in the air, and etc. If you make evolve someone into that on Earth, they're going to die because <laughs> the conditions aren't right. That doesn't come up, unfortunately. Um, but essentially, they have these tests and at first everything's all hunky-dory they're underwater they can hold their breath for 40 minutes because titan's got a lot of water rather than land so we'd have to live on underwater it more everything's hunky-dory and then slowly but surely little weird things start to happen i mean a key thing is it's a massive experiment and they don't put them into like 
laboratory conditions. They're just living with their families in between being injected with these hormones that they have no idea how they're going to react to. Um, strangely, Sam Worthington starts to become withdrawn from his wife as he's going through this and starts to bond with a quite pretty lady who was also involved in the trial. But it's just... I'm going to spoil it because it's fucking shit and you shouldn't watch it. <laughs> um, so... I want to watch it now. You've sold it to me. <laughs> so it's moving along and, like I say, bits happen, bits happen. They all start to slightly reject Earth. Like, they struggle to walk upstairs. They're getting out of breath. That sounds like me. <laughs> and then Tom Wilkinson's right. The problem is, like, you've hit a point and we need to do surgery now. We need to do surgery to push you onto that next level. So at this point... He's going a bit bald. He looks really pale. He has this operation. He comes out of the operation blue. His facial features are completely different. Who's this? Sam Worthington. Uh, and his hand sort of opens and tentacles come out. Yeah. But, and that's from one minor operation just to see him over the edge. Uh, and also as part of that, they no longer speak, they in- communicate entirely telepathically with each other and cannot communicate to humans anymore. So do we just have silent screams then? Uh, with them, yes, because they can't talk, but the humans can still interact. And essentially, it all goes a bit awry. Sam Worthington is the only survivor, and the film ends with his wife and child sort of going, oh, maybe we'll be all right. And then it cuts to the the planet of Titan, which I'm assuming is quite a long way away. So it would have taken a long time for him to get there. He's now flying in, on Saturn because he's evolved past it. But he is alone on Saturn, destined for a life of solitude. So I don't know where we were winning. I don't know what the point was. And yeah, say so if it wasn't for that film, I wouldn't have had a bin. But it very much is a bin. It's a burn your TV after you've watched it kind of a number. It is fucking awful. Totally watching it. Totally Again, it's it. only about 90 minutes long if you do want to see if you can endure it. I might watch it after you've gone. <laughs> but I cannot recommend Titan or The Titan. I um, So, although I said that I don't... Space films aren't something that I'm drawn to. I've seen quite a few, though. And I, I thought to myself, I don't recall seeing any that I thought were really dog shit that I'd put in the bin um, well a film doesn't have to be dog shit to, to class it as a bin but you know what I mean like and similar I was thinking I might not I would have two watches but I was thinking would I have to go out of my way to purposely try and find a film yeah, like Titan look for a film that purposely looks rubbish to watch um, to put in my bin I didn't have to um, find a rubbish film um, to put in the bin. I had a film in my collection, which unfortunately is ending up in the metaphorical bin, not because it's shit as such. So I picked the film Sunshine from my buy and Danny Boyle, the director, cited 2001 A Space Odyssey as a influence and also the original film Solaris from the 70s. Oh, I wonder what film you could be about to talk about. I'm going to talk about Solaris from 2002. The George Clooney The George version. Clooney version of Solaris, which is a version of... The cat is about to cough up a hairball, <laughs> I think. He's just had Hold a good, on. He's just What's had going a, on with the cat? He's just had a good old lick of his crotch... You're right, Romford. 
Yeah, he's done. Oh, blimey. He was doing a bit of an uncloud, but though, wasn't he? The old, yeah. The old chin drop. I don't know if you could hear that, Dan. Um, anyway. Um, so, there was there was a book written in the 60s, um, Solaris, and then in the 70s, a film was made of it, and then in 2002, uh, Steven Soderbergh, Soderberg. or, yeah, I didn't... I didn't want to mispronounce the same. Steven Soderbergh made a version of the film, not a remake of the 1972 film, a version of the 60s book. Yeah, right, but obviously okay. it's the same same story. Although he wanted his to be closer to the book. Um, I think I've seen the George Clooney one. <clears throat> I can't really remember it. So I already had it in my... I, I already had picked it up, so I must have picked it up somewhere cheap. I don't recall ever watching it before. Um, now, Steven Soderbergh has also directed films such as Ocean is Eleven, yeah. The Limey, um, and Aaron Brockovich. They're all films that I really love. Um, however, <laughs> Solaris does not fall into the same category. Now, I have since read, um, Steven Soderbergh has said that if you don't enjoy the first 10 minutes of Solaris, you might as well stop watching. But I stuck with it. Although I did not enjoy the first 10 minutes of the film. And I have to admit, it took me three sittings to get through it. That's never a good sign. Because it's so boring. Um, This, having watched it now, and then read reviews on it, so on and so forth, it seems to have divided viewers with regard to its pace. So some people like the slow pace, um of the film, like the style of it, obviously enjoy the first 10 minutes and therefore enjoy the rest of the film. Other people find it incredibly slow and incredibly dull. And unfortunately I fell into the second category where it was just way too slow for me. Um, um, George Clooney, as we say, is the main star of it and he plays a clinical psychologist and he is essentially, is set sometime in the future. Yeah, standard um, for a space yeah, film. Sometime in the future, the, I mean, the first 10 minutes of the film, I don't even think there's any speaking. Um, but he is essentially approached and shown a video, and it's a video from Space Station Solaris, from someone that he knows, who's essentially asking him to come to the space station because there's things going on with the crew. None of the crew want to return home, but the people at Mission Control or whatever don't understand why. They want to know what's going on with the crew. So they think, well, we'll send a psychologist out to talk to them. Yeah. Um, and we'll get them home that way. So George Clooney accepts a solo mission to go... Um, <laughs> Any space experience? To go to talk to the crew. Now, this is one of the reasons, and I had a very brief, brief chat with Dan, I think before we went to see Ad Astra, about me not really vibing with space films. And I, I think it's a little bit of, I can't... And I, I know it's it's a film and it's it's not real, but I almost find it too unbelievable. I can't believe there is no part of me that can believe that George Clooney can go on a solo mission to rescue a space station. There is no part of me that believes I cannot suspend anything to believe that Brad Pitt is an astronaut or that Ryan Gosling, I've never watched that film either. I can't. I just can't see these people as those things they're meant to be. It just doesn't click with me at all. Give them some blue skin or some laser guns and I'm well away. Or some but, hairy feet and a ring to throw in Mordor. Yep, and I'm with it. But that's not saying space. 
Anyway. No, I'm just saying, that's a whimsical plot. Yes. So, George Clooney goes off on his solo mission to this space station to try and bring the crew back. And when he gets there, most of the crew are either dead or missing under suspicious circumstances. What's going on? Um, and then you sp- the rest of the film is... Um, you don't really know what's going on. I mean, you've got two crew members still there, one of them played by Viola Davis, who's a big favourite of mine. But there's quite a lot of flashbacks for George Clooney's characters to when he was with his wife and to what's happening on the ship now. There's strange entities on the ship which look like people that the crew used to know. So that's obviously caused some of the issues on the Mm. ship. Um, And as... George Clooney's time goes on on the ship you see I believe a lot more flashbacks and it gets to the point where towards the end of the film I didn't know if what I was watching was was real or if he was imagining it or yeah I didn't quite know what was going on and I don't think he knew what was going on yeah but maybe I got it all wrong I don't know but the pacing for me and just the way the story was told, it just wasn't doing it for me at all. It was just way too slowly paced. It didn't keep my interest at all. And the whole time I was watching it, it was one of those films as well. I don't know how long it is. I think it's about two hours where it felt so long. But the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh, I wish I could watch the original. Not the original, but, you know, the, the 70s version. But that's apparently half an hour longer. So this film that felt incredibly One dragged out. One hour thirty nine. Okay, so it's an hour and a half. So the seventies version must be about two hours long. Um, the seventies version is three hours long. Crikey! Um, it just dragged way too much for me. The fact I had to do it in three sittings, I basically forced myself to watch the ending of it, just so that I could properly throw it in the bin for this. Um, but what I also read today, which was quite interesting, was that the author of the book that came out in the 60s doesn't like either film version. Yeah. So um, he would put it in the bin as well. I'm not alone there. So I'm really sorry. I don't think it's a shit film in the same vein that Titan is a shit film. It just isn't for me because Steven Soderbergh... Yeah. I keep wanting to call him Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh obviously makes films that I enjoy. He's also made a lot of films I don't like. So I think he... Yeah. Because, like, uh, Unsane, I really didn't like. There's some films of his Contagion, as well. Contagion, I really didn't like. There was some, like, exactly like that, where some films that I've seen, I wouldn't say I dis- actively disliked them. I just thought they were okay. And so Solaris, I think when you compare it to something like Erin Brockovich or The Limey, which I think are brilliant films, to then watch something like Solaris, which was so nice, like, oh, my God, this is such a chore for me to watch. I was just really disappointed. And again, George Clooney in that role. I mean, I know he's playing a psychologist. He's not playing an astronaut. But him in that setting. And there was no sort of like, he's not floating around in space or anything like that. He's on a space station. Mm. But I still found the whole thing so ridiculously unbelievable. And I know it's kind of meant to be because it's a film. But it was, it just, that's my problem with these kind of films. I just can't. There's something in my brain that just kind of goes, nah, that's not wrong. If 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 they just got some regular bloke that didn't look like George Clooney or Brad Pitt or Ryan Gosling and maybe got them to play the part, I might believe it a bit more. I just can't believe these people are doing those those things. No. 
Sandra Bullock, behave. You a flat earther as well? I, I don't. I don't quite know. Do you what believe that the means. earth is flat? No. Um. Yeah, I just can't. You know, you know how mad you got at that film with uh, the rock in it when yep. it should have skyscraper. Yeah, when the ladder would have been too hot to climb and stuff like that, and you couldn't suspend your disbelief or whatever the phrase is. I'm the same with humans in space. I'm just like, nah, wouldn't happen, would it? Send a psychologist up to save a mission. Come on. On his own does sound yeah, a little bit. Yeah, on his own. Just send them back. Is he even going to make it there? Anyway, up. So that was my bin. I'm very sorry. I'm sure it's a good film. It just wasn't Have you for actually me. got rid of it or do you still have it in your possession? It's in that yellow bag over there. It's going to the charity shop. Can Would I you, steal it before? You can have it and watch it and then drop it off at a charity shop when you've finished. How's that? Yeah? No worries. Because believe me, you'll get nothing for it at CEX. <laughs> Not unless you want to be 1p richer. Because <laughs> um, no, I say, I do like the slower pace. Not generally, it has to be the right kind of film because you can have some films that are slow for the sake, but like Ad Astra, that was very slow, very deliberate. That was deliberate. slow. This is different. Yeah, that's right. I want, to, I want to give it a second. I think I might have tried to watch it when it came out, which was like nearly 20 years ago, so I would have been like early teens, so I don't All think right. I could be the target audience for that. Yeah, look at me in my youthful exuberance. My fucking ankle keeps clicking. That's always clicked. <clears throat> I know, but it's getting worse. I'm getting oh, older. is it? Yeah. Um, so that that um, sort of sums up our buy watch bin. I feel like we've whipped through it pretty quickly, mainly because I had nothing to say on the subject. But Terry has about eighty-five notable mentions. I think I've yeah. got I've got none. So yeah, so I say I've had a really nice time getting through this. I haven't. Um, so yeah, Interstellar, I've already mentioned it, but that is a fantastic film. It easily could have been my buy. Christopher Nolan, that's a three-hour film that whips by. My wife watched it when I was re-watching it this time around, and even she liked it, and she doesn't normally like that sort of thing. So. I did actually pick up a copy of that mm. from a Chazza to uh, re-watch, but I knew at the same time, I think because the subject was in my head, I thought I wouldn't mind watching Interstellar again. I still knew it wouldn't make my list, though. Yeah, I, I think because just because I've had sunshine for longer... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've had it in my life for longer, so it just has probably more of a sentimental pull. Mm, possibly. And then it did take on a new thing for me, because Interstellar is a strange film in that it's father-daughter, not father-son, and obviously having become a father recently. Oh, God. I know I bang this on about again. this. But you talk about how you, when you're in a different place in your life, and there's a lot more in this that sort of I got or understood a bit more, so I really enjoyed that. I'm the uh, same with films with cats and... Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and then the other one that I bagsied that didn't make it into my three, Event Horizon. So in the end, I wasn't sure if it was really <coughs> space enough or whether there would, because you've got the element of hell, whether that would take it into the realms of Alien and Predator, etc. But if you like a horror film set in space, then Event Horizon is very much your man. Uh, Apollo 13. I picked that one up as well. Cheap. I'd forgotten how good... that's. So that one is a true story based on the Apollo 13 mission where on the way to the moon they had a massive catastrophe and they were essentially in space with nothing and they had to rebuild their spaceship to be able to get home. So got Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon as the astronauts. It is a very, very, very good film. Um, won quite a few awards, I believe. Another random horror one, Pandorum. Um, Don't know that one. So that that's quite old now. It's... Again, a future state, the Earth has become uninhabitable and this is some sort of like colony ship on its way to this new planet. And it starts with Ben Foster waking up with amnesia because he's been in cryostasis for so long and he can't remember what's going on. And 
nothing seems to be right. The ship isn't inhabited in any way. The the crew that should be waking him up for his stint are nowhere to be found. And there's strange things sort of stalking people. Remind me who Ben Foster is. He's in uh, that film that you really liked last year. Leave No Trace. Leave No Trace. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very, very good actor. It's also got um, Dennis Quaid and uh, Anta something or other. She was the woman in the Man of Steel film. But it's again, it's quite a small cast and it's Pandorum in the film is a... Almost like a syndrome that people get when they're out in space where they sort of possibly like in Sunshine where like the God complex kicks in and they sort of panic about the wide expanse of space and like the meaningless of everything. And there's they t- tell the story of someone who got Pandorum and basically evacuated the ship and just fired everyone into space because they just went into such a panic. But it's really, really good. Again, quite claustrophobic, um, but I really enjoyed it. It's a bit different to other things that you'll see. Uh, the Martian, which we've talked about previously on oh, the pod. No, now I do love The Martian, and I did actually buy that. Why didn't I think of watching The Fucking Martian? I even talked about it as well, but Sunshine I've had for a long time. But The <laughs> Martian, I do like. Yeah, so we obviously we covered that in the Ridley Scott pod. But yeah, that is a very, very, very good Sorry film. Sorry if I got really loud then, I moved really close to the microphone. <laughs> you started shouting. I did. I do like The Martian. Yeah, uh, a, a, a sort of 70s film, The Right Stuff. Uh, oh, I've never is, seen that. Which is, again, a, a true story about like the first getting into space. Uh, Ed Harris comes up a lot in films about space. He's in that. Uh, and it's one that it, Christopher Nolan cited as like an inspiration towards Interstellar and like the grounding it in reality. It's about three hours long, but it is very much well worth your time. It's got just like really good cast. It's obviously not special effects driven because it's from the 70s. But that's really, really good. And then also a shout out to First Man as well. Obviously, you... Didn't poo-poo it, but it said Ryan Gosling as a astronaut. So yeah, uh, first man with Ryan Gosling playing. Um, I can't remember his name. Armstrong. What's his first name? Neil. Neil Armstrong, in his in the first mission to the moon. Again, that is quite slow, quite deliberate. Ryan Gosling is not very likable in it, but by all accounts, nor was Neil Armstrong. He was very driven. He was very methodical, which is why he was chosen for that mission. There's some amazing shots in it. It's by Damien Chazelle, who obviously did Whiplash and La La Land. Um, very much well worth your time. I've only seen it at the cinema, but it was fantastic. And then a shout-out for a TV series, Battlestar Galactica. If you haven't seen Battlestar Galactica, there's, I think, six series. It's a very, very good series. It gets a lot of... Or a lot of people haven't seen it because it's set in space, so they think it's sci-fi. It is just a drama set in space, so don't... Definitely check that out. And then one other film I just want to talk about. It's not necessarily a shout-out. Space Cowboys. So it's it's a bit different in that it's old people. So you've got Donald Sutherland, Tommy Lee Jones, Clint Eastwood and James Garner. It's set from like the early 2000s. So they're all in like their 60s and 70s. And essentially... Don't tell me they're going into space. Oh, yes, they are. So this almost made my watch because it was like quite silly and laughable. So it starts off and they're part of the Dauntless um, crew and they're, so it's pre-NASA and they're like working on getting into space. It's really strange because this bit is obviously set in like the 60s so they've got younger people playing the characters but they're all voicing them. So it's Clint Eastwood's voice coming out of someone else's mouth and Donald Sutherland's voice coming out of someone else's mouth and it's really jarring because they look nothing like them but they sound just like them. Um 
they end up getting shelved because NASA comes along and then it cuts to present day, which was the 2000s, where Clint Eastwood designed something that is now on a Russian, Russian satellite that is about to start crashing into the atmosphere and then into Earth itself. So they go to him to say, like, we need you to help because it's such old tech. We don't know how it works. We need you to tell us how we can fix it. And because he's bitter that he never got to go into space, he says, I won't tell you, but send me up there and I'll fix it. And all the oh. old crew have got to go. So Donald Sutherland is now wearing milk bottle glasses where like, I mean, he just Donald, can't Donald Sutherland rocks up in Ad Astra as well, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. So Tommy Lee Jones is like this sort of pilot who's got a never say die attitude, just goes at it. Clint Eastwood is the brains. Donald Sutherland, I'm not really sure what he does. And James Garner is just a lovable rogue. Uh, Donald Sutherland is a plays, massive. Um, he plays Brad Pitt's dad in Ad Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Yeah. The, the same people tend to turn up in these films. Um, but yeah, so there's this whole film of where they've got to prove themselves that they can go into space past medicals, past physicals. And all of this. Uh, Part of the thing is they have to also train these other people so in the event they can't go into space and these others. Um, I'm going to spoil this film as well just because the ending of this film I just have to talk about out loud to someone. So just as they're about to go into space, it's like a couple of days away, they come up and say, I'm really sorry, Tommy Lee Jones' character can't go into space. His medical's shown up, he's got pancreatic cancer, he can't go. So Clint Eastwood like has a heart to heart with Tommy Lee Jones, and Tommy Lee Jones is like, "You've got to go into space, like fuck me, it doesn't matter. Like you, you three go into space, it's amazing." Clint Eastwood turns around and says, "I'm not going without him. We're a team." And essentially, the doctor goes, "What's the worst that's going to happen? He'll fucking die. He's going to die." So they let him go into space with pancreatic cancer. You might sense with this slight plot twist that there might be things about to go awry in space where perhaps Tommy Lee Jones might need to do something. And because he's dying of cancer, he might feel better placed to do that than someone else on the crew. So essentially, this ran Russian satellite that is just there for communications has six nuclear warheads on it. And when they kickstart it, they reactivate the missiles. And what they have to do is send them into space. So Tommy Lee Jones, I say he wanted to be a... He wanted to go to the moon. He wanted to be a, an astronaut. And he's got that. He sacrifices himself by steering this satellite rigged with missiles into space. And he's going to send them off into the atmosphere. From what I could see in the film, he literally just strapped himself to the front of it. It's not like he's got a steering wheel. It's not like he's, he's just strapped to the front of six missiles and fired into space. That is what happens. A man. An elderly man with pancreatic oh, cancer man. is fired into space on the front of six nuclear warheads. <laughs> and this is why I have trouble with space films. Why I don't believe these people would go into space. So that's not the that's not the bit that really got me. So that <laughs> happens. Better. The two the two young guys that were put on there in case they've ended up unconscious <laughs> and severely wounded. So Clint Eastwood and the old boys have now taken control of the spaceship. <laughs> essentially they get back to earth everything's hunky-dory um obviously there's mourning for tommy lee jones and it ends with clint eastwood stood in his garden at night staring at the moon wondering if because obviously tommy lee jones was fired in the general direction of the moon <laughs> whether he made it to the moon and his wife comes up and says oh do you think he made it he goes yeah you know what i think he made it to the moon we then slowly pan up towards the moon, through the atmosphere, onto the moon. 
and it gets closer and closer. You see the wreckage of the missiles, and it just zooms in on this spacesuit, which is Tommy Lee Jones' corpse, just <laughs> on the moon looking at Earth. So the film ends with a zoom in on a corpse on the moon. What would have been better was if his face was projected onto the moon like the baby in Teletubbies. You know, the sun, but Tommy Lee Jones is the moon. Or like Noel Fielding, where he yeah. just got shaving foam around his mouth. But obviously you don't see his face, it's all covered up, but it was just literally the film end panning into a dead man on the moon because he's achieved his dream. Oh, that sounds pretty awesome. I'm going to watch Titan and Space Cowboys. So I would recommend that one. Like It's quite jovial. It's quite light at heart because it, it's almost got like a Last of the Summer Wine vibe. Oh, it's just like God. these old boys getting on with like... I mean, there's no um, bathtub going down the hill or anything like that. But um, <coughs> it, that one's quite long. I think that's over two hours, but quite enjoyable. It's on Amazon Prime. But yeah, just I had to talk out loud to that. <laughs> An elderly man with pancreatic cancer being fired into space for apparently no good reason other than to sacrifice himself. Sounds uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, and, th- and that ends my uh, notable mentions. The only notable mention I've got, maybe we'll, we'll share it on the social media, is when, when we announced that we were doing space as a subject, uh, Rich kept mentioning space pants to me. Space pants. He sent me a link for a video for space pants. Okay. I'll, I'll show it to you, then we'll share it. Okay. Um, but that's my only notable mention is space pants. I thought I was going to have to watch a film called Space Pants, but luckily it's just a, a short video clip. Um, Excellent. Yeah, of um, matey boy that plays Tyrion wearing space pants. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Are we are we done with our space episode? That space knocked on the head um and may we never revisit it um good i feel that that was a success given the uh circumstances <laughs> <laughs> the willful neglect yeah the willful sulking of me <laughs> the last two weeks okay so by the time you hear this episode we will have chosen well not we you will have chosen our next topic that we're going to be talking about don't fuck it up like last time. Um, it will be a Halloween episode. It will be a horror episode. So the choices we're going to give you are ghost stories or zombie movies. What would you rather we guess talked who's about? Guess who's is who's. Yes, guess who's is who's. Um, I'm going for zombie holocaust one, two and three, if that's our chosen topic. And I'll be going for paranormal activity three, four and five. <laughs> Do you remember the first time we saw paranormal activity? Oh, God. Oh, my God. It's the most scared I've been in a cinema. Yes. Um, So if you choose ghost stories, Terry and I are going to be terrified for the next two weeks. And if you pick zombie movies, we're just going to be off our dinner for a couple of days. I mean, I love zombies, but ghosts are what actually, like, scare me. Ghost films are what scare me. True. Um, So that's it. Thanks for listening. Terry, can you do all the social media stuff? Because you remember it better than what I do. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so we are Theatrical Cut Pod on Instagram, and I am Terry Watches Movies, and Sonia is Mallory underscore Watches. Uh, we're on Facebook. You can just find this as Theatrical Cut. Uh, I've this week or last week, as you're now listening to it, put up a Joker review. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Uh, it took me a while to put together because I had like, lots of thoughts and feelings on the Joker, but that's there for you to look at. Uh, the Mother Pod is T M T O O H on Instagram and on Twitter. And they're on Facebook with TMTOOH as well. Uh, 
they've done so many podcasts in the last week or so. I can't remember what the most recent was. I think news. They've is got the most a, they've one. got a news episode out at the moment. That they'll probably have another five out by the yeah. time our episode comes out. They've also they've also done. I mean, I don't know where they got this idea from a Tarantino episode. Motherfucker! I know what on earth gave them that idea. Um, so yeah, so yeah, they, they are quite prolific. Um, so yeah, so that is our social medias. If you really want to email us, no one ever does. We're theatricalcat.gmail.com. <laughs> Maybe just send us some lonely hearts or something. If you just want to reach out for We only get those contact. chain ones, don't we? Yeah, the People chain ones. People used to get just, years ago. And just all the messages of, you. Ha- well, we don't get you've got a new follower on Instagram. That doesn't happen anymore either. <laughs> um, <laughs> just stuff like that. Um, slightly off piece, but my work computer has recently started giving me like pop-ups, which it's never done before genuinely in a meeting with my computer on a screen click here for local sluts to fuck in your area (laughs) (laughs) so that was a winning meeting oh you got my message then (laughs) (laughs) Uh, modern technology oh the laughs never stop here they really don't Um, anyway we've got to wrap it up now because lucy's on her way home and she needs to eat and we all know that lucy eating whilst being recorded is just the worst (laughs) noise ever so yeah so you'll now know whether it's ghosts or zombies that you'll be looking forward to on the next podcast and we'll see you then you done son yep mic drop that was a very unsatisfying (laughs) mic drop (laughs) it really was (laughs) i can't turn it off again let's try another mic drop just in case Nah, that just sounded like me clapping. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I know, but somehow I thought that would sound like a microphone. <laughs> Mic drop. Bye.